Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. Bolivia is a landlocked country in West Central South America with great views of the Andes Mountains. It is not the home of one of the most controversial heavyweight boxing champions of all time, Mike Tyson, but after losing a fight in 2002, Tyson said, I guess I'll just fade into Bolivian. I can't believe the Bolivian Tourism Board didn't jump on that. It was comments like that that would get kids from the Bronx knocked the fuck out at the hands of a young, tough Tyson. With a high-pitched voice and an obvious lisp, he was an easy target to bully in his youth. But as he would beat down the neighborhood kids, and apparently some of their fathers after the kids came home crying, the bullying wound up coming to an end. He bounced around juvenile homes for multiple years, only to find a man that would change his life and down the line, the facial structures of several other men. In his prime, Mike Tyson was on top of the boxing world, living his best life. But that life didn't seem to jive too well with women, banks, the justice system, TV censors, and pretty much anything else that would try to hold down or control Iron Mike. After such a meteoric rise to stardom, over the last 20 years or so, Tyson seems to land in the news for all the wrong reasons. Even the folks who don't give one shit about boxing can tell you that he bit a piece of Evander Holyfield's ear off in a match. What could be at the core of Tyson's erratic behavior over the years? Did his time in prison change him as a person? And the question that's popped up most recently, what kind of dumb motherfucker would pick a fight with the dude formerly known as the baddest man on the planet? We'll dive into these questions and more in the Mike Tyson episode of Asshole Court. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious. I want your heart, I want to eat his children. Praise be to Allah. All right, boys, let's get some pre-show scores for Mike Tyson. Buddy, what you got? All right, so for me, um, I'm really excited about this show. I, I've loved Mike Tyson all throughout his career. I remember growing up and watching him, you know, back when we were little. The Mike Tyson game I had for the NES was awesome. I think I actually called the 900 number for the Super Nintendo line. Nice. And I was like, what do I got to do? Like trying to make it as quick as possible. And they like gave me the code for, you know, Mike Tyson at the end. Did you ever beat him? Uh, well, I was like, what do I do What now? And they were like, you just got to time it right, man. Just time it right. <laughs> A-B-A-C-A-B-B. You know. Abacab. Well, oh, that was the code to get to. To get to straight yeah. to Tyson. Yeah. I thought it was like a number that you actually put in like. You know what? I think it was two five four three two one nine. You're right. You're right. You know, so the ACABB is the that was the blood code for Mortal Kombat. Ah, there you go. All right, but yeah. So um, and then yeah, like no, but I could never beat him. All you gotta do is get hit once and you're down. One time. 
So uh, yeah, no, and I never beat him. Getting up either. No, no it was over. you're done. So yeah, no, I never beat him. But uh, yeah, no, I I loved watching him. Loved watching him fight as a kid growing up. And uh, so yeah, I'm really excited to. I've never really done a deep dive on him. You know, mm-hmm. you see him in passing, and I've like seen him in the in the Hangover movies. Yeah. He's like one of the best parts of all those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the tiger scene out of the first one Hell is yeah. just fantastic. Um, so yeah, I, and I know that he has like blown through a lot of money in mm-hmm. his life. So I'm interested to see how uh, he spent it, um, what he's done along the way. But I got to assume that this guy, even outside the ring, has done some damage. So um, I'm going to start him off um, at a 6.0, not because of Steven Seagal, but uh, (laughs) in that 6.0 territory. Because I feel like that's a a good place to to put him right off the rip. And uh, we'll see where he lands by the end of the show. But, yeah, pre-show, 6.0 from Buddy. 6.0 from Buddy. Mikey, what do you got about Tyson? Yes, um, I'm a huge boxing fan. You guys know that. And a lot of that stems from my love of, like, Mike Tyson as a kid. Like, he was amazing. Everybody, like, he was Michael Jordan. As big as Michael Jordan uh, was in the 80s, Mike Tyson was at that time. Yep, of course. And, um. I, I can't help. I, in fact, this, the score is going to be biased because it's it's so hard for me not to love Mike Tyson. I also, our generation, I think, was the first sort of generation to start rooting for bad guys. And for a solid decade there, Mike Tyson was the quintessential bad guy. Of course. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I, I remember being a kid and just being so amped up about his fights and everything like that. And, uh, you know, I, I do know a ton about him because it's, he's just an interesting guy. And, like, his his whole story is, is, is fascinating. Um, and with him and, like, Customato, we'll get into that, I'm sure. So I know also that being said, I have to weigh that with some of the stuff he's done outside of the ring, which isn't great. But, you know, I think he comes from a sort of a tortured place. So... I'm going to score him at a 5.5 to start. And the big hits that will go against him, I'll get into uh, as we go through it to sort of explain why I still will score him at a 5.5, even as much as I know about him. Nice. Right. Nice. Randy, what you got to wrap us up? So I remember, obviously, Tyson from back in the day. Tyson's punch out was huge, right? Of course. But I have a very vivid memory of being at football camp in high school. And, you know, at football camp, you go away to your offsite. It's just you and the guys. Yep. This is pre-cell phone. This is pre-internet, really. Yeah. Um, well, Randy internet- would be gone. Like, he was like, I'm going to football camp, and we wouldn't see him for two weeks. That's it. Absolutely. You know. And I'll never forget, you know, the old media carts where they'd wheel the cart in with oh, the TV yeah, and the, the belt on the top of it. And oh, one yeah. of our football coaches one night was like, after dinner, we're watching Mike Tyson's greatest hits. We were like, yeah. hell yeah. yeah. And there was literally like 120 dudes yeah. in there just going ape shit, watching this guy knock guys completely yeah. senseless. The testosterone was flying oh, in that room. You think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and to your point, Mikey, about the bad guy look. So if you watch boxing, right? Part of the big showmanship is ring entrance. Absolutely. So uh-huh. you have guys, it's just like pro wrestling. You have guys wearing robes and masks and like rappers doing acts and all this. And you had him in the NWO or came out with them for a little for while. For a little while, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, he's getting into wrestling. <laughs> it was after he got his boxing license suspended. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Tyson came out with the fucking towel around his neck, yep. plain black shorts, plain red gloves, yep. and like lower cut black boots. And a lot of times the music was just a fucking like, uh, like a stock. church bell. Yeah. Like bong. Yep. Bong. 
I mean, it was like you could see so many fights, especially early on, where the other boxer was completely beat before the the fight even started. Oh yeah, because wow. they would come out in their robe and all yeah. the fanfare, fucking terrifying. Get in the ring, and he would just stare him down with yep. that towel around his like no, literally like a white towel. Plain gloves, yeah. plain shoes, plain shorts, and just go out there and yeah, the short, knock people the short sideways. black shorts, man. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, yeah, just a lot of, of fond memories. But I do remember him going to prison. You know. Oh yeah. Um, and we're gonna get into that absolutely. for sure. And and even recently, like he he keeps popping up in the news, right? Yeah. And it's not all bad stuff that he's in the news for. The one a couple weeks ago wasn't a good look, but um, you know, he was definitely instigated, and we'll yeah, get we'll, into that. We'll at definitely the end. get into that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but pre-show, I've got him at a 6.25. I do take the the prison time and some of the, the shit that he's done in the past, and I'll I'll give him a little markup for that. But yeah, I'm, sure. I'm pre-show 6.25. All right. With a 5.5 from Mikey, a 6.0 from Buddy, and a 6.25 from Randy, Mike Tyson's pre-show asshole score is a 5.91. Right, 5.91. He is just above... Elizabeth Holmes and Jose Canseco, and just below our guy, Steven Seagal. Hey. I, I would love to see a one of those monstrous uppercuts that Elizabeth Holmes <laughs> snap that head back like a Pez dispenser. <laughs> I'm not saying that I would love to see one to get hit. I'm just saying lightly there, Mike. Yeah, yeah. I'm not advocating beating up women, and this will also come up, but I'm just saying like she, her tiny, tiny frame taking a straight-up bulldozer of an uppercut. Ow, that hurt. <laughs> Look, Tyson, the thing is, is that I'm ready to change the world, and I'm going to need a lot of blood transfusions <laughs> after this. I'm going to need a lot of new turtlenecks after this, too. <laughs> yeah, that's why so. she has a turtleneck, because he dismantled her neck. <laughs> uh, and this is a complete side note, not on the topic. But you guys remember the Anna Delvey show we did, right? Yeah, yeah. And on the Netflix special, there's one line that she said that my wife and I just joke about all the time. My father will lie you the money. <laughs> I, I that one bothered me, but the worst one that killed me was the why did you just so paw? Yeah, paw. I hated that movie. Uh, the accent is yeah, a little rough, it was man. Hard to listen to. Paw. But anytime we talk about money, my wife's always like, "My father will lie you the money." That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's good. You paying for Pizza Hut? My father <laughs> yeah. will wire you the money. You're like just fucking pay me, dude. <laughs> All right, boys, you ready to knock this shit out? Let's do it. Michael Gerard Tyson was born in Brooklyn, New York on June 30th, 1966. His mother, Lorna Mae Smith, played an important role in his life. But just like a lot of other things in Mike Tyson's life, it's not in the normal manner. Tyson is quoted as saying she was loving, but she was kind of aggressive. Never had her life together. Never pretty much worked. Wasn't afraid to really beat you, hit you with anything pretty much drank heavily she had a lot of boyfriends and stuff sometimes her boyfriend would come over and be drunk and i would cut their pockets and rob their money <laughs> cut their pockets fuck it cut the pocket and take they're the drunk money. they're passed out he would just come with their fit his hand through the top part <laughs> yeah, so that just... way you don't wake him up yep cut the pockets and rob yeah. the money i love it that's yeah it's a very specific funny. example he definitely did that shit <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> Mike wasn't an only child. He's got an older brother, Rodney, and had an older sister, Denise. As we learn about Mike Tyson's childhood and upbringing, just keep in mind that his brother, Rodney, has a pretty intriguing story as well. He wound up going to med school and works as a trauma surgeon. I did not know that. Yeah. Rodney Tyson, eh? Rodney Tyson, the trauma surgeon. Yeah. Nah, yeah. Man, well, he can help his brother. Yeah, if he needs surgery. But Yeah. 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 His sister, Denise, who uh, he actually got really close with early in his boxing career, she died of a heart attack in February 1990. Damn. Oh. 
Although his mother didn't live long enough to see him become one of the most well-known athletes of his era, Tyson made a claim about her that shocked his fans. Iron Mike considered his mother's death to be one of the best events of his life. But then he justified his claims with some strange explanations. He said, you know, one of the best things that ever happened to me is my mother died. And this is where some of his shit doesn't make sense because my other would have made me babies. There's no way I would have ever gotten into a street fight. No way I would have ever learned to stand up for myself. Kind of a backwards. Yeah. I'm just saying. Just, uh, things are weird. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> just like many other subjects in our courtroom, and sadly, like many kids that grew up in the deadbeat dad era, Tyson didn't have much of a father figure to guide him in his early years. Tyson's biological father is listed as Jamaican-born Purcell Tyson on his birth certificate. But the man Tyson had known as his father was Jimmy Kirkpatrick. Kirkpatrick was from Greertown, North Carolina, where he was one of the neighborhood's top baseball players. Kirkpatrick married and had a son, Tyson's half-brother, Jimmy Lee Kirkpatrick. In 1959, Kirkpatrick left his family and moved to Brooklyn, where he met Tyson's mother, Lorna May. Kirkpatrick frequented pool halls, gambled, and hung out on the streets. Tyson said, my father was just a regular street guy caught up in the street world. Kirkpatrick abandoned the Tyson family around the time Mike was born, leaving Tyson's mother to care for the children on her own, and he wound up dying in 1992. So his birth father was never in the picture. Yeah. Just a and hustler on the street. Well, that, the first guy was just gone. And this guy, Jimmy, came in and was with his mom. And he was born. But, yeah, just kind of dipped out on second family. Family number two he dipped out on. Happens a, a lot. Yeah. yeah. Or it did. I mean, it probably still does now. But back in the day, it would be like, that's, oh, yeah. that's the old joke. They go to get a pack of cigs and never come back. That's <laughs> it. The deadbeat dad era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's on vacation. <laughs> mm-hmm. By the time Tyson was aged eight, he was running with the local Rutland Road crew, a gang of youths who called themselves the Cats, where he established himself as a home burglar and a pickpocket. Love that. He's eight years old and playing this out. Hey, guys, what should we call ourselves? He's like, I'm going to go with, like, the spiders. And they're like, no, 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 we got to do something that doesn't have the lisp kicking in so hard, Tyson. Okay, what about the Cats? All right, fuck it. Whatever you want, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I'll fuck you up, son. I feel really strongly about this. When talking about his childhood, Tyson said, I must have had three or four street fights a day from like age nine. I was 200 pounds at age 12. I was fighting the kid, then fighting their fathers. They were crying, went home and got their father. Then I would fight their dad. According- <laughs> God, <laughs> yeah. legend, son. I'm wow. telling you, dude. Could you imagine- Going back home to the mom. <laughs> What happened, Danny? What happened? Why are you beat up, too? That fucking kid is Did his dad beat you up? No. This kid is like 200 fucking pounds, dude. And he, like, got it real tight with me, right? And, like, monster uppercut. I was throwing punches. Could not hit him. Couldn't hit him. It's incredible. Honestly, something good is going to come out of this kid. It was. We'll take one for the family. Danny Tanner comes back with the black eye from Full House. He would shake Danny Tanner's hair so hard. Yeah, he would. According to an interview, his first fight was with a bigger youth who had pulled the head off of one of Tyson's pigeons. Mm-hmm. So Tyson's big into pigeons. He's always loved always, pigeons. Yeah, like you always he hear about pigeons. this. Yeah, yeah. It was a big deal uh, in Brooklyn. And in, in like that's yeah. a lot of those, um, especially at that time, uh, you know, they lived in, you know, tenements, basically. They're not called tenements or whatever. They're like projects. And on the roof, they would have pigeon houses or whatever. Pigeon so, coos and all yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. he, I mean, he, he, to this day, he loves pigeons, man. Yeah. That was like a really big deal for him. And this kid tore his fucking pigeon up. Yeah, yeah like I heard that that's like what helped calm him like a was lot was, was the pigeons. Yeah. So the oh. infamous meme, now Kith. <laughs> <laughs> 
The family lived in Bedford-Stuyvesant, also known as Bed-Stuy, for all you Biggie fans out there, until their financial burdens necessitated a move to Brownsville when Tyson was 10 years old. Brownsville? Yep. Represent. That's it. He's got Biggie, Jay-Z, and then he moved to Brownsville and hung out with M.O.P. M.O.P. There you go. Any up, for those That's of you it. unfamiliar with the M.O.P. Yeah, I was listening uh, to it today as I ran. Nice. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Aside from being a great street fighter, Tyson was also a drug user. He first tried cocaine when he was aged 11. Whoa. Why not? Yeah. That's Tyson. Young. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine a beefed up 200-pound Mike Tyson, 11 years on old cocaine? on cocaine? Jeez. Beating up dads. Yeah, that's what he was doing. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This Give kid me your 50. I need it for some cocaine. Listen, Geraldine, this kid is fucking wild. <laughs> I've got to tell you. I mean, he's so fucking fast. Tyson was repeatedly caught committing petty crimes and fighting those who ridiculed his high-pitched voice and lisp. By the age of 13, he had been arrested 38 times. Ballin'. By the time he was 13. That's wow. like, God, like a dozen a year probably. Born in the good. streets, bro. Yeah. Spending time in juvenile facilities soon became normal for the youngster that he would years later describe it as a timeshare. In fact, it was in one such juvenile facility called the Tyron School for Boys that Tyson had part of his high school education as well as an introduction to boxing. Tyson knew of a counselor, Bobby Stewart, and his former boxing career and being a Golden Gloves champion and specifically asked to speak with Stewart, who immediately took on a gruff attitude of the subject after witnessing Tyson's terrible behavior in the first few days of school. You ain't worth a shit, kid. What have you done that would make you even be a good boxer? He's like... Yeah, I beat up like your dad. I fucking I beat up a grown ass man. I'm like 14 years old. I'll beat your old ass. Stewart did, however, take Tyson under his wing and gave him his first real start in boxing. Stewart stated he had taught Tyson all he could about boxing technique and skill. And around the time Tyson was 12 or 13 years old, he introduced him to a legendary boxing trainer named Cus D'Amato. Yep. The introduction to a D'Amato would change the course of Tyson's life forever. Constantine Cus D'Amato began as an amateur boxer, but his career was cut short because of an eye injury that was suffered in a street fight. Instead of boxing, he made a career out of teaching people how to box. Mm -hmm. D'Amato opened his first gym at the age of 22, and he worked, lived, and slept there, literally. Yeah, he was, his whole life is boxing. That's it, yeah. Not only was Cus a trainer, but he was a role model. Cus's gym was at the top of the police station in Catskill, Tyson wrote in his book. It was old and musky, and there was a small ring. There were also a lot of weather-beaten newspaper clips on the wall. There were a few older white guys there, along with a younger guy named Teddy Atlas, who was assisting Cuss. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to Cuss, and in a second, I could see he was totally in control of everything there. He just sucked up all the air in the room. He shook my hand, and there wasn't a trace of a smile on his face. He showed no emotion. When Mike Tyson was released from the try-on school for boys, he moved in with Customato. They developed a strong bond, one that went beyond boxing. He became Tyson's legal guardian after Tyson's mother died when he was 16. Yep. He was the father that Tyson never had. Which is why he said the best thing that happened was his mom dying. Because he went to cuss. So yeah. that's why it was. It wasn't yeah. like, yeah, now I'm out from the umbrella of her. It's more like now I've got a yeah. positive role model in my life. Uh, yeah. And Cuss it was like his dad. And the weird thing with boxing is when you if you are a boxing fan, you get into boxing. The father son relationship is so prevalent in boxing. Yep. Yeah. There's so many great boxers whose fucking cornermen are their dads, yeah. their yeah. managers, their trainers, all of that. I don't know. I've never seen it like that in any other sport, but I don't know why that is. But so effectively, Customato, this 
tiny, tiny, like diminutive little Italian man yeah. was Mike Tyson's fucking dad. Uh-huh. Old it, white guy. Yeah. It, you got to stop and think like, let's say that he was still living today. What would have Tyson's trajectory have oh, been? Yeah, that's yeah. boxing fans talk about that all the time. When, you know? Yeah. When Cuss died. Yeah. We'll get into that. Yeah, we're definitely. But D'Amato, like he trained Rocky Graziano, who's mm-hmm. another boxing legend, and Floyd Patterson. Yeah. Who he got Floyd Patterson at that time was the youngest heavyweight champion right. that had ever occurred. Oh yeah. wow! Floyd yeah. is one that's forgotten a lot, but he was a like a superstar, and then he got beat by Ali and some other people or whatever. But I mean, honestly, the the, the truth of the matter is, I don't know if you get into this at all. I don't want to like step on your toes here, but like the peekaboo boxing style was invented yep. by Customato. Yep. Oh wow! Which is like I said, it's a it's you have to be a special type of boxer to, to be able to pull it off. But it literally is planting your feet and it's entire like waist up body movement. So you like you're constantly you have to have insane stamina to do it. But if you go back and look at Tyson's early days, like he that's the definition of the perfect peekaboo style. Well, where like your feet are displaying you, you like something your, you else that your, your body up, is. You hold your gloves up right by your face. You plant your feet and literally just. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and you're yeah. constantly moving. And you're yeah. constantly moving. So you're finding openings, but as they're punching, Canelo Alvarez is very good. He doesn't use it the entire time like Mike Tyson does, but in terms of like upper body movement, the inability to hit him or to hit Tyson back in the day, people don't, everybody talks about Mike Tyson's like knockout power. They don't talk about how good his like defense was, uh, you know, and that, that was Customato's uh, peekaboo style. Yeah, sure. So D'Amato was the only person to strike fear in Tyson. He was also the only one to keep him under control, the one to criticize him constructively. I was petrified when I was alone with him, Tyson wrote in his autobiography. If he called me, Mike, I need to talk to you. I didn't feel good going over to him. That's when he'd give me his detailed criticisms of my fights. People see the public celebrations of my sensational knockouts, but they don't hear Cuss talking to me alone after the fight. But Cuss gave Tyson a mantra that he would use for the rest of his career. I'm the best fighter in the world, and nobody can beat me, which the aspiring boxer would repeat over and over to himself. D'Amato died when Tyson was 19 years old. Tyson was 11-0 as a professional fighter at the time. Mm -hmm. They needed each other. Tyson gave credit to D'Amato for turning his life around. D'Amato once said that being able to develop a young, talented fighter like Tyson makes me excited, makes me feel like a young fella. That was Cuss's, that was his masterpiece, man. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Tyson made his professional debut as an 18-year-old, March 6, 1985, in Albany, New York. He defeated a dude named Hector Mercedes via first-round TKO. He had 15 fights in his first year as a professional. Fighting frequently, Tyson won 26 of his first 28 fights by knockout or technical knockout. 16 of those came in the first round. Yep. That's insane. Yeah. So out of his first 28 fights, he knocked 16 dudes out in the first round. Yeah. And and that was the thing, like... uh, I think that for a lot of boxing, isn't it pretty much frowned upon to like go in there and just like smash it out in the first round? No, you can do it if you want to. Just most people can't do it. Yeah. You've got to figure out who that fighter is. There's been other fighters who actually have a higher first round knockout ratio. There's guys like Julian Jackson, who you'll never hear about because he didn't fight heavyweight. The average boxing fan or whatever, I wouldn't even say average, like the average person only watches heavyweight boxing or whatever. But First round knockouts are a rarity, um, especially but, nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it's just especially <laughs> big fights. They always kind of feel each other out for a few. Yeah, exactly. well, yes. I mean, Tyson was a freak show. It was weird. I don't know. Like I said, it, Julian Jackson didn't fight heavyweight. You know what I'm saying? You had him and you know, like Gerald McClellan, who were like uh, their their knockout ratios were higher, and they had you know, but they were fighting at like uh, you know middleweight and stuff like that. Sure. 
so no, there's no nothing frowned upon about knocking somebody out the first round. Yeah, it's just okay. that it's very hard to do because you have to figure out that fighter first. You know what I sure, mean? Sure, sure. The quality of his opponents gradually increased to journeyman fighters and borderline contenders. His win streak attracted media attention, and Tyson was billed as the next great heavyweight champion. Tyson's first nationally televised bout took place on February 16, 1986, at Houston Fieldhouse in Troy, New York, against journeyman heavyweight Jesse Ferguson. It was carried by ABC Sports. Tyson knocked down Ferguson with an uppercut in the fifth round that broke Ferguson's nose. During the sixth round, Ferguson began to hold and clinch Tyson in an attempt to avoid further punishment. After admonishing Ferguson several times to obey his commands to box, the referee finally stopped the fight near the middle of the sixth round. The fight was initially ruled a win by Tyson by disqualification, and the ruling was adjusted to a win by TKO after Tyson's corner protested that a DQ win would end his string of knockout victories and that a knockout would have been the inevitable result, which I can definitely agree with. Yeah, 100%. Face, yeah. yeah, when they're holding on for dear life, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you're done. No, you watch some of those early fights, and it's... I can't... There was one guy... I wish I could remember his name. I, I would, like, stop and look it up, but it's not really all that important. But this was back in the, like, mid-'80s when Afros were still, like, sort of in style. And, I mean, he ripped this dude. And the dude actually got back up. Like, caught him with the, the classic Tyson uppercut. Dude gets back up and then is like trying to get started. I'm talking Mike Tyson crow hops and hits him with like a straight right that his hair shakes so hard that I think I watched it like 30 times because the guy was it just like I said, he was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. In July, after recording six more knockout victories, Tyson fought former world title challenger Marvis Frazier in Glen Falls, New York on another ABC Sports telecast. Tyson won easily, charging at Fraser at the opening bell and hitting him with an uppercut that knocked Fraser unconscious within 30 seconds into the fight. On November 22, 1986, Tyson was given his first title fight against Trevor Burbick yep. for the WBC Heavyweight Championship. Have you ever seen the intro? No. When they first, they, when they first face each other? Uh-uh. Trevor Burbick is fucking terrified. Oh, <laughs> he man. Knows he, know, he knows what's up. He's fucking... Trevor Burbick was a, was a, a good boxer like he was he was a heavyweight champ he was a heavyweight champ yeah. he wasn't like, like i said like at this time this is when you're dealing with like the transition between like larry holmes and of course ollie's out of the picture or whatever but larry holmes is a very good boxer trevor burbick had, had beaten i think i believe he'd beaten larry holmes or whatever uh, but he fucking knew when they got in the ring fuck yeah i mean go like just <laughs> yeah. go 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 to youtube anybody listening to the show that has an interest go look at the face off in the ring between mike tyson and trevor burbick and trevor burbick is like Okay, fuck, dude. I'm about to die. (laughs) Tyson won the title by TKO in the second round and at age of 20 years and four months became the youngest heavyweight Mm -hmm. champion in history. He beat a fucking heavyweight champ and and a decent one. Not a paper champ. Trevor Burbick wasn't horrible. Second round. Second round. Yeah, at 20. Yeah. Yeah. He added the WBA and IBF titles after defeating James Smith and Tony Tucker in 1987. Tyson's dominant performance brought many accolades. A guy named Donald Sanders wrote, The noble and manly art of boxing can at least cease worrying about its immediate future. Now that it has discovered a heavyweight champion fit to stand alongside Dempsey, Tunney, Lewis, Marciano, and Ali. Tyson intimidated fighters with his strength, combined with an outstanding hand speed, accuracy, coordination, and timing. Tyson also possessed a notable defensive ability 
holding his hands high in the peekaboo yep. style taught by his mentor, Customato. And that's one thing I just wish people would recognize him for. Yeah. It's like the, the casual fan is just like, he's just punches, he just knocks everybody out. I'm like, watch that dude dodge punches. It was incredible. Yep. Yeah. Tyson's explosive punching technique was due in large part to crouching immediately prior to throwing a hook or an uppercut, thus allowing the spring of his legs to add power to the punch. And that's what they showed in the video game, too. Like, you'd that's see right. him crouch down yeah. for a second, and then he'd just crank one up. Well, and, and that's how done. He's short. He's a short. He's not. I mean, it, look, when you see most boxers that you're going to see, especially at heavyweight, are usually at least six foot tall. Yeah. He's 5'10". Or whatever. And then a lot of boxers also have a weird thing where their their legs aren't really big. You know what I mean? Yes. His legs trunks. were fucking tree trunks. Yeah. And like so for him to get inside, like with a guy like Larry Holmes and stuff like that, to get inside of and Larry Holmes had a piston like jab, right? Like the peekaboo style allowed him to get inside and take advantage of what his strengths were, which was like the power of the uppercut and avoid that stuff, avoid those jabs. With the peekaboo style, the dodge punches, get inside and then just completely fucking level somebody. And yeah. plant with those tree trunks. Yeah. And level. Yeah. Yeah. One of his signature moves was a right hook to the body, followed by a right uppercut to the yep. chin. By the time Iron Mike was the undisputed heavyweight champion in the world, Tyson Mania had gone mainstream. Like we talked about, one of my favorite games of all time is Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Yeah. And the whole series, too. Like Punch mm-hmm. Out, Super Punch Out. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's just awesome. Who was your favorite uh, Tyson character on the game? Like, you, oh, you oh of, all, of all yeah. of them? <laughs> we, <laughs> the funniest one is Soda Poppins. Oh, yeah. I love Soda Poppins. Somehow, when we were all hanging out, somebody found this pink dildo and we were like, hey, it's Soda Poppinski's dick. <laughs> and then, like, people would pass out, and we would put Soda Popinski's dick on people's heads and take pictures. And, and it was, it was, but it was like, it was like a, uh, it was just like shorthand. Everybody knew because the game was so popular. We all knew as soon as you said Soda Popinski, we were dying because yep, he was the yep. pink Russian. Yep. yep. I always liked, uh, what was it? Uh, like, Great Tiger, the guy oh, that yeah, had yeah, the yeah, little yeah, diamond yeah, oh, that yeah, would yeah. blink. And- King Hippo was, I remember the first time you played King Hippo, and you're like, Fuck! How do I beat this yeah, guy? Then yeah, then you figure it and out. Then you like, figure it out, yeah. and yeah, Mr. Sandman. And yeah, all yeah. That. yeah, Sandman too. Got, yeah. He was right. tough. Yeah. He was tough. Piston yeah. Honda. Yeah. Yep. Shit. I think my favorite part was uh, Mac getting trained. Yeah, he yeah. Ride the bike in New York City. Oh yeah. 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 No, he's, he's running, running. Yeah. and uh, yeah, the coaches. And they, they put them motherfuckers in pink joggers. Yeah. yeah. He did. <laughs> <laughs> We've been asked by our fans, guys, we want more. And just like a genie in a bottle, your wish is our command. Our Patreon page is now live. Find us on Patreon at AHC Podcast to get access to our all-new Conspiracy Court episodes. Get a shout-out on one of our Asshole Court episodes, voting power on future episodes, stickers, swag, and a whole lot more. Go to Patreon.com and search for AHC Podcast to get your fix today. And now, back to your regularly scheduled shenanigans. So as Tyson became one of the most famous and wealthiest sports stars on the planet, he had the ladies throwing themselves at him. His most explosive love affair was with his first wife, Robin Givens, from 1988 to 1989. Givens was a hot, up-and-coming actress who was starring on one of TV's most watched shows at the time. Head of the class. Head of the class. Ooh, nice. Head in your ass. (laughs) The teacher from that show reminds me of, like, Martin Mull. I don't know. You're right. That make that you're absolutely right. He looks like that. Actually, he was in some other stuff too, but yeah, yeah he does look like Martin Was Mull. he in WKRP in Cincinnati? I think you're right about that. 
Man, I'm yeah. bringing up some. Yeah, what nobody. Radio City or radio talk radio or something. No, like that was that? a TV show about a radio station. The right? only people that are gonna get that are Buddy's dad, and I would say my dad, but he doesn't listen. So there you go, Mister Buddy. There you go. They married 11 months after their first date, on which they were reportedly joined by her mother and publicist. According to Tyson, they had a hastily arranged wedding when Givens announced she was pregnant. He had already given Givens and her mom $3 million to buy a New Jersey estate, as well as put $6.5 million in another account for the pair. But shortly after the money was exchanged, Robin told Mike she'd had a miscarriage. The pair later appeared in a cringeworthy interview with U.S. journalist Barbara Walters, where Givens revealed her three-month marriage to Tyson was torture, pure hell, worse than anything I could possibly imagine. Yeah, they were sitting on the couch together. Yes, and he's just sitting there like, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she literally was sitting next to him like, this guy's a maniac. I'm a total yeah. fucking, you know. Yeah. Oh, wow. What I mean, like, what is she leveraging against him? Like, just like he's crazy or like actual physical abuse or? Good segue. Asked if Tyson ever hit her. Given said he shakes. He pushes me. He swings. Sometimes I think he's trying to scare me. There were times when it happened. I thought I could handle it. I just recently, I become afraid. I mean, very, very much afraid. Gibbons filed for divorce soon after the interview. Years later, Tyson admitted in another book called Fire and Fear, the inside story of Mike Tyson, that Gibbons was on the receiving end of one of the best punches he's true. ever thrown. It's, it's oh, very true. It's the out. best punch I've ever thrown in my life. Yeah. Ow, how many punches has he thrown? A and that, like for him to say that's the oh No, there's and that's honestly like I remember this and it's gonna add to his his score. But do you yeah. talk about Brad Pitt at all? No. Okay, so do you guys know that Brad Pitt was boning Robin Givens while they were still married? Really? Oh, no. Yeah. True story. Mike Tyson actually came home. This is 89, 90. Brad Pitt's like an unknown quantity in Hollywood. Like maybe it's a couple things. What has he been in? Like Thelma and Louise at this point? I don't think he had even been in that. Maybe around that time or whatever. And I just can't imagine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Mike Tyson showing up and like you're like <laughs> you're hiding his in, wife. Yes. You're hiding in the closet. Think yeah. about how a different Fight Club could have been. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, for real, like, dude, he Brad Pitt is a small guy. Yeah, like, he's not big. And also, I mean, I don't I mean, even if he lives, that face is rearranged. That beautiful face is rearranged, Brad Pitt. Hollywood yeah. has changed forever. Yeah, he was boning Robin. Like, talk about the set on him, though, man. Well, and I'm just saying that they had a hang contest. I'm sure Tyson would probably come out on top there, too. It's very possible. I don't know about that. I just can't even imagine the thought process. Like, we talk about with the, the, the guy here on the airline. Like, you're like, why would you talk shit? Why would you fuck Mike Tyson's wife? In his house. In his house. Yeah, yeah. dude. Especially yeah. in that time, too. Like, oh. in the heyday. Yeah. Like, uh, and now here's the deal, too. At the time... Uh, Brad Pitt, as most men did, had a pretty rock and mullet, Danny Tanner style. That hair would have got a shook, boy. <laughs> <laughs> By 1990, Tyson seemed to have lost direction, and his personal life was in disarray amidst reports of less than vigorous training prior to the Buster Douglas match. That's right. In a fight on February 11th, 1990, he lost the undisputed championship to Buster Douglas in Tokyo. Heartbreaking. Tyson, For me. Yeah. Tyson was a huge betting favorite. Indeed, the Mirage was the only casino to put odds for the fight and made Tyson a 42 to 1 favorite. Yeah. Wow. Buster Douglas was, not to say he's a nobody, but he just was, it was just like, next it was in just, line. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You're next in line to get knocked out, enjoy it, or whatever. And he talked about uh, very sincerely that he basically almost didn't train at all. 
and had just been doing tons of drugs at this point. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he admitted to doing cocaine like yep. before his fights. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he would fucking yoke lines in the dressing room and then yeah. go out and fight. He oh, liked to party. Wow. He, he That's talked, insane. He talked about one fight he had to end early because his dick was burning so bad because he had, uh, had an STD. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was like, it was awful. He's like, my penis was on fire. <laughs> and uh, But it was true because like, like he, at this point, when Cuss died, there was uh, another guy under Cuss or whatever that sort of helped him out or whatever. And then like, Don King swooped in. Yep. And Don yeah. King is the devil. Yeah. He's an awful, awful, horrible human being. As Go proven, check out our episode on as, him. Yeah, as proven by his 7.58 score here on Asshole Court. That's right, dude. And uh, so he had no direction. He was super famous. And this is You're talking about a kid that came from literally like running the streets in, 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 in Brooklyn, the Bronx, Brownsville, shit like that. And uh, it literally has, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at his hands. Uh, is, is also devastated because yeah. he's lost cuss like the father figure that yep. he's always wanted yeah there's no direction and then you know. so he's just on drugs and so end of the day you know it had cuss been alive had he been training him properly there's no fucking way tokyo happens yeah. i recently had an episode of penis burn oh, oh. wasn't from an std okay. but uh yeah right I don't, we haven't discussed this yet um, we made some homemade flatbreads the other night for dinner. <laughs> this is the least Mike Tyson story <laughs> of all time. And um, I like fresh jalapenos, right? So mm-hmm, I cut. Mm-hmm. We had pulled pork and and some diced chicken and barbecue. It was really good. And I was cutting up jalapenos. And on the yep. cutting board, obviously, I'm holding it with one hand. And Go then take a whiz. After dinner, I went to the bathroom, and then like an hour later, I was like, "Motherfucker, yeah, what's yeah. happening?" I was like, "It, it, it oh, creeps yeah. in on you too. Uh-huh. It isn't right away." We have a good friend of ours that um, she was dating somebody at the time and she brought him down to the beach house. That was the family beach house. And she was like, yeah, I got this guy. And yeah, he made dinner for me the other night and it was with jalapenos. And then, yeah, we started messing around. And sure enough, he went south of the border and the yeah. jalapenos definitely spiced things up oh, more than man. we were expecting. Yeah. And uh, but then she was like, hey, you can't tell him that I told you that story. I'm like really like falling in love with him. She ended up marrying that dude. Oh, and yeah. So it's just one of those stories that we have that we Hopefully can never you tell. tell him afterward. That's a funny well, story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it was like just one of those that got buried. And, oh, uh, I would shame. tell him now. I told uh, my wife's parents about the time that she poured uh, like Tabasco into my asshole. Oh, that's like Steve-O style. Yeah, hmm. it was hot. That is. That's my thing. Did that really happen? Never. Absolutely not. <laughs> Steve-O did do that, though. He well, went- Of course. He also got paid for it probably pretty well. <laughs> anyway, back to the fight. Tyson failed to find a way past Douglas's quick jab that had a 30-centimeter reach advantage over his own. Tyson did catch Douglas with an uppercut in the eighth round and knocked him to the floor, but Douglas recovered sufficiently to hand Tyson a heavy beating the subsequent two rounds. Yep. After the fight, the Tyson camp would complain that the count was slow and that Douglas had taken longer than the 10 seconds to get back up on his feet. Just 35 seconds into the 10th round, Douglas unleashed a brutal uppercut followed by a four-punch combination of hooks that knocked Mike Tyson down for the first time in his career. He was countered out by Octavio Mayron. I'll never forget him Him like kept, spitting his, God his damn mouth it, if he would have fucking gotten the mouthpiece in his hand he might have gotten up but he was it was it was over and i mean you could even make the argument but again think about the fact that he's literally probably off the end of a like a week-long cocaine and booze bender and he still puts up a valiant effort and like not to to take not to take anything away from buster douglas but there's no way that shit happens if he had trained properly this is his like version of showing up Monday morning hungover as fuck. Oh yeah, after to the work. Su- after the yeah. Super Bowl. Normal Joe. Yeah, this is Monday after the Super Bowl. Imagine yeah. having to go into work and give a big presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I remember Buster Douglas won the title. Do you remember what came out shortly thereafter? Buster Douglas's boxing. That's I owned right. it on the Sega Genesis. Yep, Buster oh, Douglas yeah, boxing. That's right. The knockout victory by Douglas over Tyson, the previously undefeated baddest man on the planet and arguably the most feared boxer in professional boxing at the time, has been described as one of the most shocking upsets in modern sports history. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Despite the shocking loss, Tyson has said that losing to Douglas was the greatest moment of his career. He said, I needed that fight to make me a better person and fighter. I have a broader perspective of myself and boxing. After a few KO wins after his loss to Buster Douglas, a fight between Tyson and Evander Holyfield for the Undisputed Championship was scheduled for November 8, 1991 at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. But Tyson had to pull out after sustaining a rib cartilage injury during training. Yeah. The injury wouldn't be the only thing that would prevent the fight from happening. Desiree Washington, who at the time was a college student in the reigning Miss Black Rhode Island, was in Indianapolis, Indiana in July 91 to attend the Miss Black America pageant. She met Tyson, one of the celebrities invited to the event, which he had attended the show's rehearsal. Tyson put that lispy charm on her, and Washington accompanied Tyson back to his hotel room at the Canterbury Hotel. A day later, on July 20th, 91, she checked into the emergency room at the Methodist Hospital and reported that she had been raped. Washington told the police and subsequently testified in court that Tyson had invited her over to his room where he forced himself on her. Tyson claimed the sex was consensual. Mm-hmm. In February 92, following a two-week trial that monopolized the attention of media across the world, Mike Tyson was found guilty of rape. A month later, Judge Patricia Gifford sentenced him to 10 years in jail, but suspended the last four years of the sentence. Speaking out before his sentencing, Tyson said, I have not raped anyone, tried to rape anyone by any means. I'm sorry for Miss Washington as a person. I by no means meant to hurt her or do anything to her. I'm sure she knows that. I don't come here begging for mercy, ma'am. I can't see anything good coming from this. I'm here prepared to expect the worst. I've been crucified, humiliated worldwide. The former heavyweight champion of the world has always maintained his innocence. I did not rape Desiree Washington, he wrote in his book. She knows it. God knows it. And the consequences of her actions are something she's got to live with for the rest of her life. I'm going to be honest. I don't think he did. I, I'm very torn. So the one of the key witnesses was Tyson's chauffeur that says after the incident, she came back downstairs and was like visibly shaken, mm-hmm. disheveled. Like, and Yeah. And like, I'm not going to discredit it. You go to the hospital and they do like a, a rape kit. Yeah. Like if you have some rough sex with a heavyweight boxing yeah, yeah, yeah. champ, yeah. it might appear that, yeah. you know. Something tells me that's not going to be some vanilla sex. Yeah. You yeah. know. And there's and it's more to it, right? And, you know, it happened in Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah. We've talked about it before. Indiana actually has very deep roots in the KKK. Absolutely. And like, yeah, the, the one point, the, the stronghold of the KKK was Indiana. Yeah. And there was only one black juror on the yeah. whole jury. Well, so when he says a jury of my peers, there was one black person. Yeah. You know, was there like any kind of like financial gain for Desiree on this or? I mean, long term, she might have been able to write a book or something, but I don't I, know if he sued her civilly. I believe. Yeah. And I don't also have to I want to tread very cautiously here yeah. because I don't like I always agree. Like you have to listen to people that are saying that, that these things are happening and. Even with the Kobe case, as as big of a Kobe fan as I am, when I actually looked into that case, Kobe. I was like, "Oh, this doesn't look good." With Tyson, I believe that she had already had filed another claim against somebody else at the time mm. that she had actually gone up to his hotel room, you know, late in the 
it was very late at night or whatever. And, and she had even, some of the other people that were there had said that she was like, I'm going to make him my man. There was some very strange things there. Kind of like a pattern. Um, yeah. There's, but there's you some, don't know. Some yeah. certainly questionable things. And, and when you have a guy like Mike Tyson, who is going to come out and say with Robin Givens, did you punch her? And he's like, it's the best punch I ever threw in my life. And he's like, I've done all sorts of horrible fucking things. And he was like, I did not do this. I absolutely did not do this. And I just, I, like, again, also, I'm totally biased, and maybe this is where I'm blinded by, like, my fandom of, of Mike Tyson. And, and if I'm wrong, then I hope to God that, you know, you know, everybody forgives me here. I just, everything I've looked at, at this at this case, I just, I just don't know that it happened that way. I don't know that it did. You know, one thing that I will say about Mike Tyson is, and I've seen a lot of interviews with him and just like, uh, you know, stuff at length and he seems to be a very honest person mm-hmm. yeah you know um you know the one thing that i like will brutally honest brutally yeah. honest like to his you know to the point where you're like hey chill it yeah, out because exactly. he even said he was like i wish i had raped her because then i would at least have the, the prison time would have made would've, sense yeah there would have been justification for it but you know and you know for from her standpoint you know what could have been a normal night for him could have been a very different night for her yeah, you know right. too. It so is, it you is know years old yeah. so it's you totally know. true i don't i don't want to say i'm just saying that in the terms of like what happens in in court cases with murder is that you if there's even reasonable doubt that you have to err on the side of caution yeah and that doesn't necessarily carry over to beyond you know, a pre- yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 then this is what we always talk about like with like an Oprah show it's like he said she said and like I said now don't get me wrong like I totally think you should always listen to anybody that says they were raped listen to them first believe them first and then parse out the details I just everything that I've read about this particular instance I'm like there's enough reasonable doubt there for me to say that I don't think he should have necessarily gone to prison for this. That's all I'm going to say. Sure. There was another boxer he fought after he got out of prison that had been to prison for like six years um, on some like armed robbery or yeah. something. And they're in the press conference and they're like, hey, Mr. Boxer, do you think your time in prison hardened you or did this, that and the other? And Mike Tyson spouted. He's like, well, at least he did what he did to go right. to prison. I never did shit. And I got sent to prison. Right. Yeah. And everybody actually kind of laughed about it. And the guy was like, yeah, I definitely robbed somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to, to, to like to prove that stuff or whatever. I just, I, it's very, it's very tough, man. I don't know. I don't know. March, 1992, he began serving his term at the Indiana youth center near Plainfield, Indiana. He was released after serving three years in March, 1995. But while in prison, Tyson stayed busy. When he was there, Tyson converted to Islam and adopted the Muslim name Malik Abdul Aziz. Other sources report the adopted name as Malik Shabazz. He also apparently banged a bunch of chicks while he was in the slammer as well. Conjugal visits? Random female visitors would visit him in prison just to have sex with him, which he happily obliged with. Yeah, hey Mike, likes, you got a visitor. The guy, <laughs> the guy Number likes one. to fuck. Imagine being the guy that you got knocked out early because his dick burned too bad. Hey man, it was a good fight. No, 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 no. You were a total bitch. It's just that I my shit was burning and I had to knock you out so I could go ahead and take care of this. Tyson also got involved with a prison drug counselor after he gave her eight thousand dollars to fix her roof. He said, "I was having so much sex, I was too tired to even go to the gym or work yeah. out. I just stay in my cell all day." Well. And I also want to bring that up, too, because we always talk about like, especially with 
you know, with rape uh, accusations, usually there's like a pattern there. Right? There's a history of this. Like there's multiple accusations. Yeah. Ron Jeremy, Bill Cosby, Steven Seagal, Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, this is the only one, the yeah. only one that I'm aware of. Right. Yeah. So that again makes me be like, okay, this is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Not enough smoke to call the fire. Right. But you know, yeah. But once he got done fucking like he was in prison, it was back to boxing. After a couple warm-up fights with Tyson winning easily, Tyson regained the WBC title against Frank Bruno in March of 96. This set up the next set of fights for Tyson that would again bring him into pop culture history. Do you remember, though, when he his first fight back with Hurricane Peter McNeely? Yeah, Peter McNeely. A guy that looked like he could have been like a bouncer at a fucking Boston bar. Oh, no. Uh. And Peter McNeely was talking mad shit. He was like, game's changed, baby. <laughs> Dude, he, we've moved past you, bro. I remember I was a, a kid, and my mom actually took me to a bar uh, to watch this fight. <laughs> yeah, thanks, mom. Mikey remembers the uh, Geraldo broken yeah, nose yeah, scene, yeah. and then this fight it, right here. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it was it was exciting. I loved watching him beat Peter. <laughs> now, and sadly enough, as a boxing fan, the truth is that a lot of these guys end up with really horrible head trauma, which is why. I, as as much as I love boxing, if my son ever wanted to get involved, it was a hard no. Because Peter McNeely is like a drooling burrito now. Dude. Yeah, it sucks. Oh, rough. Yeah. Don King, another subject who's been in our courtroom, like we mentioned earlier, set up a fight with Evander Holyfield, who was in the fourth fight of his own comeback. Holyfield had retired in 1994 following the loss of his championship to Michael Moore. It was said that Don King and others saw former champion Holyfield, who was 34 at the time of the fight, in a huge underdog, as a washed-up fighter. On November 9th, 1996, in Las Vegas, Tyson faced Holyfield in a bout titled, Finally. In a surprising turn of events, Holyfield, who was given virtually no chance to win by numerous commentators, defeated Tyson by TKO when referee Mitch Halpern stopped the bout in round 11. That's true. Tyson became the second boxer to win a heavyweight championship belt three times. Yep. Holyfield's victory was marred by allegations from Tyson's camp of Holyfield's frequent headbutts during yep. the bout. I remember that. Although well, the headbutts were ruled accidental by the referee, they would become a point of contention in the subsequent rematch. Well, before we even get to that subsequent rematch, I do remember very specifically the build-up to this fight. I remember, I think it was us, or was some. it was definitely in the hallways of high school before this fight was going to happen. And everybody was like, Holyfield has no shot. And he had like a heart condition and too. he's from Atlanta. So that was a big thing. Like, yeah, it was yeah, a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Heart condition. Uh, and so like, but also everybody's still Tyson fans. And we were just like, he's going to punch Holyfield in his chest and his heart's going to stop. And he's going to die. <laughs> They're going to have to bring out the, the yeah. shockers yeah. out there on yeah. the. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then when he, when Holyfield beat Tyson, it was again, it wasn't as huge as Buster Douglas, but it was it was massive. It yeah, was like holy shit. I'm, I'll never forget the cover of the Sports Illustrated. The next one, it was it was the you know the the shot of the fight, and you're just like, shit. Yeah, yeah. Tyson and Holyfield fought again on June 28, 1997. The highly anticipated rematch was dubbed the Sound and Fury, mm -hmm. and it was held in the same Las Vegas MGM Grand Garden Arena as the first bout. It was a lucrative event drawing even more attention than the first bout and grossing $100 million. Tyson received $30 million and Holyfield $35 million, the highest paid professional boxing purses until 2007. Soon to become one of the most controversial events in modern sports, the fight was stopped in the end of the third round 
when Tyson was disqualified for biting Holyfield on both ears. Mm-hmm. The first time Tyson bit him, the match was temporarily stopped. Referee Mills Lane deducted two points from Tyson and the fight resumed. However, after the match resumed, Tyson bit him again, resulting in this disqualification, and Holyfield won the match. The first bite was severe enough to remove a piece of Holyfield's right ear, which was found in the ring floor after the fight. Yep. I remember that shit. Yeah. Tyson later stated that his actions were retaliation for Holyfield headbutting him frequently without penalty. In the confusion that followed the ending of the bout and the announcement of the decision, a near riot occurred in the arena and several people were injured. Mm-hmm. Tyson Holyfield, too, was the first heavyweight title fight in over 50 years to end in disqualification. So here's the deal. I am not going to give Mike Tyson a pass for biting his ear off. Oh, he yeah. bit his fucking he ear off. He went I mean, full animal. Yeah. But the reality is that Evander Holyfield was notorious for headbutting. Notorious. No he had a big old, fucking a big old head. He had a big, but it wasn't. He was dirty, like, but he would you, lead with it. He would if, lead yeah, with it. Yeah, he would, inten- and he did it intentionally. It wasn't it, a lot of times when you're in, when you see boxing matches, especially when you have something like you have uh, like a a southpaw versus like a regular fighter or whatever. Two southpaw is a left-handed boxer. That's correct. Those, yeah, you're going to see a lot of head collisions, but you know when they're going into it. But Holyfield used that as a piece of his arsenal. There's no better explanation of this or like proof of this is that his fight, Evander Holyfield's fight with Hasim Rahman. When he headbutted him so bad, they had to close the fight out because Hasim Rahman had grown another head. Yes. Oh His, wow! Yeah. Dude, it was massive. Holyfield, I, massive. Like, we're Atlanta boys, but I am not a Holyfield fan. I've always felt that that dude was juiced to the gills. I felt that he was a bit of a dirty fighter. I'll give him credit for probably being the best cruiserweight to come up to heavyweight up until now. Maybe Uzik is. Uh, I, I, I'm hoping takes that that title away from him. But Holyfield was a dirty fighter. Yeah. Absolutely dirty fighter. And when Tyson was talking about it, you, you, if you go back and watch that fight, you'll see the headbutts. And Tyson, I, I think, just emotionally couldn't handle it. Yeah. I am not making an excuse. You're still not the correct response to bite his ear off. But, oh, yeah, wow. there you go. We just showed the picture uh, to Buddy of Hasan yeah. Rotman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good God. Yeah. He- holy- it looks like yep. the movie Aliens, where like they're coming out of the chest, but it's yeah. like out of his head. I remember when that fight happened. I was like, I fucking told y'all. I was like, Holyfield headbutts, dude. The angle of it, man. Man, that yeah. is like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Holyfield headbutts. He, yeah, I'm just not, not a huge fan. Well, I guess that makes me feel a little bit better about uh, Mike Tyson doing the CBD gummies yeah. that are the ear, but it has yeah. the ear with the yeah. bite mark out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's the thing is uh, is that there's plenty of dirty fighters. I mean, like I said, like you know, one of my favorite boxers is Lomachenko, and his first loss was to a guy named Orlando Salido. And Salido fought dirty as fuck, punched him in the dick probably forty times. The um, ref never called it or whatever. It happens in sport, like in boxing. You're going to deal with dirty fighters, and sometimes they use it to their advantage, and that's why you have to have a good ref. Sure. Um, you but, see Million Dollar Baby. I yeah, mean, yeah. she got rocked on her face. <laughs> Blockbuster <laughs> video. <laughs> but you shouldn't bite his ear off, but I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying I understand. How many times have you listened to an episode and thought, man, I wish they would have said this? Well, now with our interactive social media pages, you can. Let us know what you think about our show subjects and give us your scores. We'd love to hear from you. Well, most of you at least. Let's dive back into the action. 
Tyson wound up getting his boxing license suspended, reinstated, and had to go a few more fights working on a comeback. His final shot at glory was a heavyweight championship fight against one of the greatest and, in my opinion, most underrated heavyweight champs of all time, Lennox Lewis. Yeah. Two years prior to the bout, Tyson had made several inflammatory remarks to Lewis in an interview following the Lou Savarese fight. The remarks included the statement, I want your heart. I want to eat your children. Praise be to Allah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very contradictory this right was, there. This was, this was peak bad guy Tyson. Yeah. yeah peak absolutely. bad guy Tyson. Yeah. This is when even the people that were like, oh, you know, I really love the bad guy style, but he really, I want to eat your children. I want to eat your heart. And yeah. then, and, 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 and the thing is like, Lennox is like a, he's a dapper Dan. Yeah, absolutely. He Honestly, was an awesome and I'm, fighter. that was a good Lennox point. Lewis, dude, I may, I may rate him as, he may be the best heavyweight of all time. That dude was unbelievably good. I and he I was, know people are gonna get mad. Like people that are listening that are they're like Ali would beat his ass. I'm like I don't know if you take a prime Lennox and a prime Ali. I don't know that Ali wins. I don't know. Telling you, Lennox Lewis, his jab was unbelievable, but he could land a yeah. shot too, man. Ah, yeah, he was great. It's fun to watch. Yeah, Lewis dominated the fight and knocked out Tyson with a right hand in the eighth round. Tyson was respectful after the fight and praised Lewis on the victory. This fight was the highest grossing event in pay-per-view history at the time, generating 106.9 million from 1.95 million buys in the US. Lennox wow. had to sell the fight, buddy. Sorry. Hey, you know, it's just not a big deal. Your kids are cool. Uh, but I, you know, so I'm going to eat them. He's but... like, you just got paid, bro. Oh, and at the end of the fight, like you can see totally he's very humble and even like wipe some blood off of Lennox Lewis's cheek with his That's glove. Right. Like he knew what it was. Yeah. I mean, he knew he was going to he I think he knew going into the fight he was going to lose, but it's a payday, bro. Yeah. And he, I, the other thing too is like we're talking about when he came out of prison, when he went in, he had like four hundred million dollars. Yep. When he came out, it was like gone. And he even at one point, in it, 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 his one man show is something that everybody should watch, even if you don't like boxing, whatever. You would never expect someone that's like Mike Tyson to be able to pull off like an hour long one man show. But he talks very specifically at one point about how Don King just fucking raped him for yeah. money, and he was like, yeah. "I found out there was." Seventy thousand dollars in towels, yeah, a month, a, a month, month. seventy thousand yeah. in towels, which is just they're just like moving money around. Yeah, it's like White House, like hammers for twenty thousand yeah, dollars and type dude. stuff. Like, yeah, he and like I said, he had an interaction with Don King where I thought he was gonna fucking beat his ass. I yeah. remember, and we covered that in the episode, yeah. and uh, yeah, like he hunted him down at a at a hotel or something, yep. and uh, yeah, handled business. In August of 2003, after years of financial struggles, Tyson Lee finally filed for bankruptcy. Tyson earned over $30 million for several of his fights and over $400 million during his career. At the time, the media reported that he had approximately $23 million in debt. On June 11, 2005, Tyson stunned the boxing world by quitting before the start of the seventh round in a close bout against journeyman Kevin McBride. Yep. In the 2008 documentary, Tyson, he said that he fought McBride for a payday he didn't anticipate winning, that he was in poor physical condition and just fed up with taking boxing seriously. After losing three of his last four fights, Tyson said he would quit boxing because he felt he had lost passion for the sport. Yeah, he was very candid in that post-fight interview. He was like, I'm done. I, I can't do anything else, yeah. man. I mean, a guy like Kevin McBride. Yeah. That guy right now is a bouncer at your local fucking restaurant. You that's know, they're like exactly. fucking bar and grill. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, again, not taking away from him, but you're just like, that sucks to see like a fucking beast like Mike Tyson, like basically just, it happens a lot in boxing too. It sucks. These guys fight way too long. Too long. Yep. Yeah. 
don't know when to hang it up. Yeah, yeah. And they always it's always like when um I, there's so many boxers that just they have an embarrassing end and it just sucks, dude. Yeah. Like Bernard Hopkins, yeah, hop when he got knocked through the fucking ropes, yeah, and he had like one of the longest careers ever, right? Like he was, he actually got better somehow in his late thirties and early forties. Strange career, and then his last fight, he literally got knocked out and threw the ropes, like fell through the table, and you're like, that's how you go out. That's so oh, sad. Yeah. yeah, that's what everybody remembers you for. Yeah, like Tyson has admitted his problems with drug abuse throughout his career, most notably cocaine. It's a hell of a drug. I want to try some of that cocaine. He used throughout his career, even before big fights as a habit, spiraled out of control. He said, I was a full-blown cokehead. The history of war is the history of drugs. Every great general and warrior from the beginning of time was high. And Tyson found a novel way to cheat drug tests while he snorted lines of powder before stepping in the ring. He would use a fake penis filled with someone else's urine. He and his entourage called the wizard. Has anybody here used the wizard? No comment. I thought it was a Wizenator. The Wizenator was the one our buddy had. Okay. That was yeah, the our actual buddy fake had dick. one, yes. Also, let me roll back here. Every general that won wars is high on that, drugs. That was a quote from Mike Tyson. <laughs> okay, yeah. all right. I just want to make sure that I heard that right. Yeah. I was like, Genghis Khan was he's, high. He and, is uh, not an academic. A yeah. yeah. He was yeah. in a gang at eight years old. Uh, he definitely is not like gradually like. Yeah, our buddy had the actual fake dick. Um, the soda Popinski. Yes, yeah, soda Popinski. <laughs> and, and like, I don't think you need a nine-inch pink dick to pass yeah. a drug test. However, the wizard failed him in 2000 when he tested positive for marijuana and was fined $150,000. After finding redemption in Hollywood, starring in films including The Hangover, Tyson had rebuilt his life. But it's by drugs, once the downfall, he's now making his millions from. In 2016, he set up Tyson Holistic, selling cannabis products, as potent as one of his uppercuts. Yeah. Yeah. Tyson is believed to earn around 500000 per month through his business based in California. We're growing and selling cannabis products as regulated and legal that offers premium marijuana strains, edibles, and extracts. You know, that's one thing that I would take. Like, if I was like, man, I want to get fucked up. It's like, hey, take a Mike Tyson uppercut gummy. Yeah. Uh, I was about to say, just take an uppercut. That's not going to, that will fuck you up. <laughs> It'll but. fuck you up long term. Yeah. <laughs> Ask Peter McNeely. No, I want an oh, uppercut. Oh, sorry. Yeah. In 2019, he launched a small pop up music extravaganza he called the Kind Music Festival. He walked around the site greeting revelers who enjoyed acts including Miguel and ASAP Ferg while smoking joints. And in his sites, Tyson had a cannabis themed theme park called Tyson Ranch in the works. Describes as the wonderland of weed, guests will be able to smoke marijuana anywhere within the resort, except where alcohol is sold. Jesus, just take my money, Mike. And just a couple weeks ago, Mike made the news again. I gotta say, the instigator of this one, complete dumbass Melvin Townsend III, has gotta be one of the most dumbest or drunkest dudes on the planet. What's that name, Melvin? Yeah. And he's like... Younger than us. Yeah. Who is naming their kid Melvin in the 90s? Uh, a, a, a guy named Melvin Townsend the second. Oh, uh, you know, you got to give that game that like the name up, though. Imagine it's 1996 and this baby's born. You're like, what are we going to name? They're like, Mel Melvin. Yeah. Daddy really wanted me to name him. Like, like Larry. Larry. <laughs> <laughs> How many Larry's do you know that are like 24 years old, right? Zero. They go by their middle name. Yeah. Scary. <laughs> Larry Scary Johnson. The incident took place before a flight scheduled to leave San Francisco International Airport for Florida at 10.30 p.m. local time. Police later confirmed that they were called to the incident in San Francisco after 10 p.m. 
where the plane prepared for takeoff. They spoke to two men who were unidentified, but both were released, and Townsend's lawyer told Matt Morgan of TMZ, Our client is a big Mike Tyson fan. When Mike Tyson boarded the plane, he became overly excited. At first, their intention was cordial. At a certain point, Mr. Tyson clearly became agitated by an overly excited fan and began to strike him in an excessive manner. This situation could have been avoided by simply contacting the flight attendant. A spokesperson for Tyson said, Unfortunately, Mr. Tyson had an incident on a flight with an aggressive passenger who began harassing him and threw a water bottle at him while he was in his seat. Again, only a fucking moron would get remotely close to picking a fight with a dude that once had the nickname, Baddest Man on the Planet. Yeah, yeah right? I'm just a huge Mike. fan. I'm a huge fan. Take this water bottle to the head. <laughs> Bing! <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. What was great in the video is everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then it gets done. They're like, hell yeah, Mike. Hell yeah, Mike. And, and you know, the thing is that, like, this dude is a fucking idiot, a douche. And it, the name Melvin is sticks. I'm sorry. Any of our listeners that are named Melvin, you know your name sucks. You need to change it to your middle name. Uh, but. What I will say, I will give him credit for not pressing charges. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Not suing him. When you're in the wrong, you're yeah. in the wrong. He's probably sitting there, right? His family's like, just come on. Just sue that motherfucker, $100 million. Please. It'll pay off our Impala. <laughs> and, uh, no, 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 no. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. What a fucking weird yeah, term what, what a moron. Yeah. And that, boys, is Mike Tyson. Oh, wow. Yeah, Had wow. that event happened on the plane 17 years ago, Everybody like, he's a fucking animal. Well, he might have been on a private plane 17 years ago. No, he was broke as fuck then, too, remember? He, he was, never really, like... Well, in the heyday before, like, back in his, what, like, um... He MC was still Hammer paying days. off the IRS around that time. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's, well, I'm just saying, this motherfucker was on a JetBlue flight. Like... It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. But he's making 500000 a month. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think $6 million I, a year. I like, looked up his net worth at one point, I think, and it was like a million, and I was just like, I felt sad for him, and I was like... Still a million more than me. Yeah. And he talks about it, too. He's like, you know, like he's had, I mean, hundreds of millions to nothing. And he's like, if I had it, I'd spend it. You know, yeah. we had fun, you know, but yeah. whatever. You know, well, I'm just shit. here. Don King spent most of it. Honestly. Yeah. Don King fucking raked him over the coals when he was in prison, man. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I think that's. Yeah. It's Mike Tyson. It All is. right. Let's Buddy, what you got, brother? All right, so for me, uh, you know, this was like pretty much expected. I didn't think that anything really jumped out that was, uh, you know, kind of new or just surprising to me. Yeah. Everything kind of fell in line. I do take issue with the Robin Gibbons assault, um, you know, where I, I, I never think that a guy should hit a girl ever, period. I don't care. This actually came up in our house the other day. Okay. okay. Imagine you and your wife are walking down the street. Okay. And a woman comes out. And attacks your wife. Okay. I would wreck that bitch. My it, son and I both agreed. Really? I, I was trying to restrain her. Uh -huh. Yeah. I don't think I would throw a fucking punch at her. If, I think I was trying to restrain her. If a woman her. walks up and decks your wife in the face or the back of the head and she falls down, like... Oh, so here's... This, this it's happened. Re it's wreck time. This happened to my parents. A true story. This was a uh, at a swap meet out in California. When swap I was, meet is known <laughs> as a flea market That's for right. normal people. Yeah. Well, out west, they're known as swap meets, where <laughs> normal people only live east of the Mississippi, apparently. Actually, and swap meet makes way more sense than fucking flea market. Like, that Seinfeld is like, you think there's fleas, don't you? Yeah, which is great. So, yes. Anyways. That's why there's a discount. Anyways, Randy. I was a little kid. I don't remember this. I was so young, I don't remember it. But this biker lady walked up to my mom and slapped her in the fucking face. 
Wow. Yeah, this is a true story, dude. And my mom was like shocked. And my dad was like, what the fuck, man? And uh, the biker was like, oh, I thought you were somebody else. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, my bad. <laughs> but, but they were rolling with Hell's Angels. Uh, my dad was like, hey, dude, I take one for the team. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So no, I, I I disagree. I think you just try to restrain her. Now I will say that if if like if a woman is trying to kill me, like attack me with a knife, then punches are th- are getting thrown. Like if it if I feel like I'm in physical danger, it's what it is. But uh, also this this we're already into real deep waters. So we have a lot of uh, really great female listeners. Absolutely, and, and women we love listeners. them. And I and ninety nine point nine 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 percent of any opportunity, I would never ever. Like I said, this was what we had the discussion in my house. And my son actually brought it up where we talked about, you know, I was telling him, you never, ever lay a hand, you know? And he was like, it's not true. I was like, give me an instance. He's like, if we were walking down the street and a lady came out and, you know, punched mom in the head and she fell down, he's like, I'd knock her ass out. And I was yeah, like, I, you know what? I, I, I'd even, th- I don't, I, I can't now, if, if it felt like she was like, again, like there was like, like came came out and squared your wife up, drops her, and then goes to uh, continue to assault her. Well, that, again, okay, would, so would, that's where like you just come in, and you tackle them from. That's the what side. I'm saying. I think you the, know what the, I mean. The like restraint would be important. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I can do that. Like, if she was like trying to like stab my wife or something like that, or stab me, then yeah, I'm I'm literally I'm like I'm gonna, I'm going Mike Tyson's punch out. But I don't I don't know. I mean, it's it's not fair. Well, you see sometimes that when like some women will take advantage of the situation, be like you can't get hit, and they'll like literally sit there and just assault a guy. That's not cool. I don't know that I, I even in those situations you can't you you shouldn't hit a woman. No, but yeah, if she, never. if if I'm straight up somebody attacked my wife. Okay, I and would. this one very hyper specific event. Yes, I think that we should probably hit a well, woman. I just, that, that's it, what I said. That's what I said. This one that hyper <laughs> that hyper specific event happened to my mom, and my dad had to fight all the hell's angels. <laughs> he he chose the wise path. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it's a funny family story. Where always, my mom was around like, Christmas time. My mom it's a was, great one. My mom was like, she slapped me so hard. <laughs> Anyways, all right, all right, enough of that. Yes, Robin Givens, that's not great. Yeah, no, and and he's like, that's the best punch I ever had. Like, oh man, that's rough. So you know, some points are going to be uh, added for that. He's a he's an intense individual, man. I, I've I've heard some of his stuff. Like I heard his interview on the Joe Rogan podcast, and you know, like he talks about back in his heyday, back in the nineties, late eighties, and stuff like that, where he was just a machine, and yeah. like everybody he went after, he was like trying to like go for the jugular. Yeah. Oh, he said before the Riddick Bow fight, he told a guy, he's like, if I don't kill him, it doesn't count. If he's not dead, yeah. my win doesn't count tonight. God. That was the, the the best one was when he beat Trevor Burbick, and he said, uh, what was it? He said. He said, I threw hydrogen bombs. I threw hydrogen bombs. He said, every punch had murderous intent. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. And Trevor Burbick knew it was coming to He was like, oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. Hydrogen yeah. bombs. He got that right. He didn't get Bolivia right, but he got hydrogen bombs <laughs> right. So we'll give him half credit. Joe Rogan even got a little bit scared from him when he was interviewing him. And he was like in that, you know, zone where he's like, I'm, I kill motherfuckers. And, yeah. you know, he's like, Joe's like, calm down. It's all right. It's cool. We're here. Yeah. You know, hit this weed, you know. Uh, but I too kind of got to like lean on the side with Mikey's assessment on the whole Desiree Washington incident. You know, mm-hmm. I feel that that 
he would be the first one to kind of come out and say, yeah, it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just for his personality. Or but, his like, apology would be along the lines of just like, you know, I think that she misunderstood what the situation was. Maybe she felt it was different. He yeah. was just like, hell no. She mm-hmm. was pretty much do this. down. Yeah. 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 And to me, uh, yeah, it kind of sounds a little bit more like that, but I'm not going to sit here and undermine it by right. any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, for me. I didn't hear anything that really made him a super asshole outside of the Robin Gibbons incident. Um, I think I'm going to have to backpedal just a little bit. I had him originally at a 6.0 and, um, you know, that's Steven Seagal's territory. You know, like <laughs> I, be, I, I don't know if we can put him in there, but I think that he's uh, going to dance all around a little bit more with Vince McMahon and Papa John. So I'm going to put him at a 5.75. <laughs> <laughs> As a final asshole score for Mike Tyson. All right. All right, right, Mikey. What's your score look like? Uh, I just imagine Papa John versus Mike Tyson. (laughs) I would pay hefty money to do that. I would pay, like, I mean, which isn't much for me because I don't have 400 million to burn. But what's important to me is, you know, I don't know, six Pokemon cards or some shit. Um, No, for real, though, like I said, it's, it's, it's this. I don't think I've had a, a harder time with the score because I know that I'm super biased. Like literally one of the first memories are like in my life that I, well, it's not the first memory, but like one of my cherished memories was like me wanting to watch the Tyson, Michael Spinks fight. This is 88 and like, but it was too late. My parents wouldn't let me. So my mom knew that I loved it. My parents knew I loved it. So they came in they woke me up when the fight was over and they're like, Hey, Mike, knocked him out in the first round and i was like yes <laughs> and i went back to sleep and there was just so many like great moments and i and i love boxing so much and i feel like for him like he's from his background it's so tough i mean like we you know we didn't get into it too much but like his childhood was fucked up man like oh, yeah. his mom was like borderline prostituting herself maybe like not even borderline and straight up prostituting herself like there was a lot of abuse there he got picked on as a kid and stuff like this the shit he had to deal with you know, but that being said, like, you know, even if Robin Givens was boning Brad Pitt, you can't punch her. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, if my wife slept with Brad Pitt, I it would it would still hurt. But I'd be like, <laughs> well, I mean, I can't beat that. Yeah. You know, obviously that yeah. guy's like way more attractive, way richer. I'd be like, how do I sue this guy? I just would start calling attorneys. <laughs> uh, but that being said, it, like his only response in life, the only thing that got him through life was violence. And I don't. That, again, that is not an excuse. I'm not saying that that's reasonable. But I'm just saying that like when I don't. That's your default you, standard. Yeah, that's all he knows what to do. Uh, but he still his his his, his score is going to go up a little bit for me because of that assault. Uh, and I and I I don't think that was. I'm, I'm sure he assaulted her probably multiple times I'm yeah sure shaking when she's yeah. talking about like he yeah. was shaking Shook, me yeah. and yeah. stuff like that that's all that's, i i don't that's, yeah fuck I, up. I don't believe that he raped desiree washington um again it's not that i'm saying definitively like hell no he didn't do it sure. i'm saying there's enough reasonable doubt there that i if i was on that jury i would have probably have just said not guilty because that's how it's supposed to work right like Pretty reasonable doubt reasonable yeah. doubt and there was reasonable doubt there for me i think he's become a very kind nice person in his later life and has really sorted his shit out which is great to see yeah um and i'm happy for him and i i wish him for i wish him the best 100 um in terms of his status as like one of the best heavyweights of all time 
Yeah, he's up there for me. Uh, I don't think he could contend with guys like Ali or with like Lennox Lewis and, and stuff like that. Let but, me ask you this. Uh, had he not gone to jail and continued boxing through those six years, do you think that that would change it at all? I think the problem for him was even, and it, a lot of it goes back to the okie doke style, is it, it's you, you can gas very easily. And his stamina was always questionable. Sure. So when the fights extended out past six, seven rounds, then he would have difficulty. Like the power's going away, you know, he's starting to get, because again, with the okie doke is like the constant movement, right? So you're constantly moving. Lennox Lewis also with like the reach and stuff like that is, I just don't think you're eventually going to be able to get past that reach. So I don't think that he's going to beat guys like Ali. I don't think he's going to beat guys like uh, Lennox Lewis and stuff like that. But for his stature, and as intimidating as he was and as great as he was, like, he absolutely belongs in the in, in the greatest heavyweights of all time. Of course. Yeah. Um. So, but I'm going to bump him up honestly to a 5.75 from a 5.5 because of the it literally saying that <laughs> the best punch he ever threw in his life was on his like 120 pound wife. Yeah. 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 That's rough. Yep. Randy, take us home. All right. So again, kind of a a, a tough one because you know, like I said, we grew up this guy as an icon. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Um. But again, to to reiterate my point, I don't agree with hitting women. Right. Um, and the rape thing just kind of it, it casts a bad look on it. And I'm kind of looking at the litmus test of the other folks in our courtroom. Right. I know Papa John. Yeah, buddy, you had him at Papa John level. <laughs> I've got him probably in between a Jake Paul and a Nancy Grace type level. So okay. I, I think I'm going to keep him at what I start with six point two five. Yep. That's where you had him. I think I'm going to keep him right at six point two five. Okay. Nancy Grace is more of an asshole than Mike Tyson, but <laughs> she yeah, is. Yeah, I, I think see so. that. She she made a woman kill herself. That's right. Arguably, maybe allegedly. Well, no, I mean it's not even like it's not it's not like direct. Like she was like kill yourself, bitch. But she definitely like made her. I don't know. I think I would I would rather hang out with Mike Tyson all day all than day. Nancy Grace. Wow, boys! I think this is the first time that this has ever happened. So, with a 5.75 from Mikey, a 5.75 from Buddy, and a 6.25 from Randy, Mike Tyson's final asshole score is a 5.91, which was exactly where we had him at the beginning of the oh, show interesting. with different numbers. So, yeah, yeah this wow. is the first time that, hey, yeah, that's cool. done that. Look at All that. Right. There you go. A little asshole novelty for y'all. Yeah. yeah. So 5.91 lands him just above Elizabeth Holmes and Jose Canseco. And again, just below Steven Seagal at the 6.0 yeah. level. Yeah. 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 Everything comes back to Steven Seagal. It has it been lately. That one just sticks in our craw a little bit. Yeah. My craw. <laughs> I even fucking wrote that shit. <laughs> All right. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. We've been telling you for weeks, go check us out on Patreon. We've got a new show over there called Conspiracy Court where we dive into some believable and some not-so-believable conspiracies. They're a lot of fun, uh, very similar to our setup that we have with Asshole Court, getting a lot of great feedback on that. Also, we put up polls over there where you have uh, voting power on future shows. The next show we're going to do is actually determined off a poll that we put on Patreon. So go check us out. you got to put the full name in, patreon.com slash podcast because we are explicit. If you just go in there and search for us, you won't find us because we have dirty mouths and dirty minds. We love all you guys. Be kind to one another, and we will see you next time on Asshole Court.